This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you're listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today we have Natasha on from Performance Renew, and we'll be talking about the topic of the UK launches a four-day work week. Should the US do the same? And it's a question that pretty much is on everybody's mind, quite frankly, especially uh, you know as we near the two-year anniversary of COVID. I'm sure people are thinking about it more and more. I can't wait to learn from Natasha. Um, Natasha, would you do us a favor and introduce both yourself and Performance Renew? Absolutely. And thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. So as you said, I'm Natasha Bowman, also known as the Workplace Doctor. I am the president and founder of Performance Renew, which is a leadership development, talent management, DEI firm based out of New York City. I am a labor and employment law attorney by trade, but decided early in my career, I didn't want to be on the dark side of misconduct. So I went over to the HR side pretty early in my (laughs) career so I could be more proactive and intentional in creating positive and inclusive workplaces. And that's essentially what I've done uh, through many avenues. In addition to being the president of my firm, Performance Renew, I'm also an author of two books, You Can't Do That at Work, which was published in 2017. And I have a new book out, uh, The Power of One, Leading with Civility, Candor, and Courage. I'm a TEDx speaker um, and a professor. So that's me in a nutshell. Well, you're not busy at all. Not at all. I'm quite bored. (laughs) (laughs) You got some extra time just laying around. That's right. That's right. Now, as a published author, I have to ask you, you've have you already got, because you've got a couple under your belt. Have you already got your next idea? Or- oh, I'm actually working on my book. <laughs> How did you know that? <laughs> well, How it's it's know? funny. Well, I, I worked with an editor at one point a uh, hundred years ago. And mm-hmm. uh, he told me, he goes, successful authors think in threes. That's I said, right. I said, do tell. I said, you know, they, you got to put everything into that book that you're writing. But you're thinking about the second and third book. Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. like, you're kidding. He's like, no. Yeah. You can yeah. go back and he, he he could name authors, both fiction, nonfiction, you know, mm-hmm. all across the spectrum. He's like, that's how they write. They think yep. in threes. They think in chapters. That's so anyhow. Right. In fact, my second one hasn't even been published yet. It's published. It's released on May 4th. And I'm already Ooh. halfway through my third book. It's like, okay, I mean, I'm uh-huh. done with that book and it hasn't even been read by the oh, third Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, what's funny is you're going to get pulled into the circuit. And you're going to have to go do tours and talk to people. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I'm already I'm already on this on this other thing over right. here. Right. I want you to hear about this. <laughs> That's some funny stuff. So, so, and I love, I love your firm. It's absolutely, I mean. You know, again, we're kind of a hundred years late to a lot of this stuff, but yeah. the fact that there is more discourse, social discourse mm-hmm. and corporate discourse, which I think is, which is fantastic. I hate that we, you know, I hate that we're at this place, but at the same time, I'm glad that we're having more discussions and I, Absolutely. you know, I'm, I'm a bit cynical when it comes to diversity and inclusion mm-hmm. in, in the sense of um, we've been talking 
for a long time. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Right. So well, I started getting calls, you know, after the murder of George Floyd. And mm -hmm. I'm like, well, th first of all, thank you for inviting me to finally have this conversation. Right. But I've been begging to have this conversation mm -hmm. for some years now. That's right. Um, so, like you said, not new to this, but true to this. That's <laughs> but, right. Um, I will take what I can get. And, oh, yeah. Know, no, if, know, that's, mm -hmm. if that's what it, I mean, again, we look at COVID in kind of the same ways. It sped up so many things in HR in a good way mm -hmm. that it would have taken us another 20 years to get to. That's so right. it's that's unfortunate. Right. That that all the things that you look back and all the all the the combination of movements of love is love and me too and Black Lives mm -hmm. Matter and all the other ones that, that I'm not mentioning, it's great that society has finally gotten to a point of like enough's enough. That's right. That's and, right. And that's and carried over, which yeah. which which was a worry of mine was like, okay, it's one thing to protest. Is it going to carry? Is it actually going to carry over into corporate America? That's it, right. And it, it did, surprisingly, it did. right? You yes. know, if we think about the murder of George Floyd, that wasn't the first time, right, that no. we've seen <laughs> an unarmed Black man mm -hmm. uh, being murdered by law, law enforcement. So people wondered, well, what was different about George Floyd? And I think it's exactly what you just said. Because we were in the midst of the COVID pandemic, mm -hmm. the world had taken, you know, family was on a pause. Detroit. And they had the opportunity to actually reflect on things and they saw themselves and others in a different light. They, they start to value humanity, right? So, you know, just thinking about that delivery person that would come and bring yep. you food, right? That person became the most treasured person in the world mm -hmm. at that moment. When before we barely made eye contact, right? That's we just right. grabbed our food and left. And now it's, you know, thank you. And, um, you know, so I think that we were in that moment of reflection um, on humanity. And, and that's why we thought about, you know, this is these types of things, you know, are not just happening in our communities. But when George Floyd was saying, you know, if as we watched his final moments, I can't breathe. That became a metaphorical type mm -hmm. of phrase for uh, marginalized employees in the workplace yep. who were suffering and being, um, you know, silenced and felt like they were suffocating under the dismantle, you know, these systems that had been put in place, right, um, that, you know, crushed them, you know. So if you think about those similarities, um, you know, that's what this movement brought. And as you said, I'm glad we're still having these conversations two years later. Some yep. organizations are not. I'll, I'll admit some have mm -hmm. fallen off the wagon and mm -hmm. they're performative. Yeah, but um, you know, <laughs> I, I, I think, Natasha, I, I think it's at their peril, you know, because I don't think I, I, the, the genie's out of the bottle. And I think, and, mm -hmm. and not just generationally, I mean, I, it would be very easy for us to say, oh, millennials and Gen Z, the I, I, at 53, I feel the same way. If mm -hmm. I'm joining a company, I'm going to, I'm, if I'm reading their job descriptions, I want to know what they're doing, not what they're saying, right. Right. but like how much money are you putting behind the programs and ERGs right. and SIGs exactly. and like, what are you actually doing? What does your leadership team look like? Exactly. Like I'm, I'm going to go, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a one-way ticket to the leadership team mm -hmm. website webpage. Mm -hmm. um, I'm about to break my leg getting there to yep. see um, what does that leadership team look That's like. Right. You That's know? right. And it if it's not there yet, I'm looking for a plan yep. um, of how they plan on creating a pipeline. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking for those types of things, right? I, and I don't think we're unique. So I think that candidates 
are the the especially candidates and employees they're fed up if you're so when companies pull out you know it's almost like you know we're coming up on uh you know we're in uh we're coming up on let's say june's pride month So here's, here's what we all know will happen. Everyone's going to colorize and, and rainbowize their logo, Their logo. Mm -hmm. for a month. Now, do they actually care about the LGBTQ plus community? Uh, I, I don't, I don't know. And I, I, I look at that and, and, you know, like if you really care about a community, you care about them all the time, That's not right. just, not just during that month. And that's, you know, I, I say the same thing about Black History Month and women's, right, you know, whatever I, it is. Mm -hmm. if you care, you care all the time. That's and, right. And, uh, and so, but, but, but the thing is, is I like the way that you framed this great reflection that people have had mm -hmm. and then, and, and reframing the way that we think about work, marginalized people thinking about work and thinking about, you know, they're, what they're not willing to put up with. Yep. And uh, which is a great segue into the kind of the four day work week. What have you, what have you seen so far with, because we've talked about the four day work week for a while. Mm -hmm. It's not a, it's not a new concept. It's, it's, it's new in the sense that people are actually doing it and being right. successful at doing mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. So that is, that is absolutely new and, and yes. uh, really interesting. But what do you, what do you see right now when, when companies are kind of considering the four day work week? Yeah, so, you know, I think they are taking a, a lead from some of the other countries who have implemented it or have some sort of, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> Completely uh, a pilot program is what I'm looking mm -hmm. for, um, for doing it. And these pilot programs in these other countries that have implemented it, um, show that it absolutely works, you know, and it's different than, you know, a model that we have traditionally seen some companies do where, hey, you know, you can work four days, have your fifth day off, but you got to work 40 hours in those four days. So you're working a 10 day work, work day, right. for four days. So you're getting, still getting 40 hours. That was my, that was my concern yeah. uh -huh. initially is, is, it, is that the expectation of work wouldn't change in terms of the outputs and productivity you're basically going to cram five days of work in four days. Yeah. So what, so what in the, in the good models, the models where it works is that expectation has shifted. Mm. Um, you work 32 hours, mm -hmm. you're still paid your normal salary. And it's not that expectation that you're getting 40 hours of work into the 32 hours. Right. And that's where it really works because even if you have the four day model and I'm working 10 hours a day, um, I'm going to still experience burnout. At some right. point, you know, yeah. yep. And if everybody's not on that model, I've seen it where not everyone is on that model. So therefore, there's meetings and still that's happening on that fifth day. Um, so therefore, you know, I'm still feel like I'm coming back to a whole bunch of stuff. So it just doesn't work that way. So the model that we've seen implemented recently in your New Zealand and your other places um, with this 32 hour model expectation is 32 hours, you know, worth of work. Um, and you still get that 40 hours, 40 hour salary. That is the beginning point of what this looks like. Right. And many countries have implemented on a pilot basis. Many organizations here in the U S have implemented on a pilot basis because they've got to do some, let's, let's make sure this is going to work. Let's make sure that our leaders are trained 
you know, around this to make sure they're not trying to cram 40 hours worth of work into 32 hours. And then it backfires on us in some way where now I'm experiencing even more burnout, right? Because I've got a short period of time to do my work. So, um, you know, I, I think essentially the goal, which I had to really say it, is that we should just stop focusing on quantity and focus on quality, right? And it should be individualized. So I can get the things done in a very, very quick manner in a high quality way. And it may not even take me 32 hours, but give me my objectives for the week. Let me reach my objectives and don't really care how many hours it takes me to do it, right? To me, that's the that, that should be the model. So a couple of things that, that, you know, leaders will be listening to this uh, that they probably will need to kind of reconcile mm-hmm. is, 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 you know, waste in our inefficiency in our work, in our work week and the way work that we do. So an hour long meeting, do we ever need an hour long meeting? Mm-hmm. Okay. So stuff like that. Do we need to rethink the way that we work on uh, productivity? Do we, as leaders, do we need to think um, not just less about the how of how something gets done, but, but, you know, maybe the expectation is that there's not as much, but it's higher quality mm-hmm. and people are happier. So like, how do you, when you're, when you're talking to leaders, you know, the C-suite and the board, let's just go, let's just go straight to the top. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're talking to them, how do you get them to trust? Cause like one of the things I've seen and you've, I know you've seen this yourself mm-hmm. is you know, people want to go back. Some of these leaders, which I think are, it's it's kind of a, and this is just my take, my opinion. Uh, it's an indicator of a poor leader that they want employees back in the office. Uh-huh. So it's like it's a, kind of like a tell, right? Uh-huh. You're telling me that you like command and control. You want to see people. You want to be able to witness the work to make sure the work gets done, which is. Uh-huh you know, something very 19, uh, you know, 70s uh, about that. So that's just my personal take. Uh, but, you know, as they look at work, you you do recognize that there's fear that 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 in a remote environment or a hybrid environment, uh-huh. that there's fear that people aren't getting the job done. And there's trust issues and that, that, that the job's not getting done uh-huh. now. So, how do you resolve those? So how do you kind of coach them up to understand, you know, how they, they can mitigate those feelings that they have or anxieties that they might have yep. and create a better environment? Yeah, you're right. Um, you know, it, it begins all with trust, just like you said. When we're seeing organizations asking their employees to return to work, you know, or, you know, especially on a full-time basis, it's all about trust. For some reason, organizational leaders cannot conceptualize, even though they've seen it for two years now, they can't conceptualize employees working from remotely and being productive, even though every piece of data has told them quite the opposite, that employees are not only productive, their mental health is better, they're more creative, et cetera, et cetera, right? Insurance, medical insurance costs are down because it's less stress. We have all of this data supporting the remote work environment um, or some sort of hybrid, but yet bosses, for some reason, it's that proximity bias is what's, what it's called. Mm-hmm. It's that bias of if I'm seeing you work, you know, you're coming in early, you're staying late, you must be working harder than someone that I don't see. 
right? So it's just, it's just a bias, right? That we've got to rewire, um, you know, somewhere down the line. And, um, and it's unfortunate that after this two year kind of pilot, you know, of this work remote, you know, or flexible work environment, that leaders are calling people back to the office because of this proximity bias. Um, so again, it's about checking your bias. It's about when you think about what a leader is, you, you know, you may picture a male, you know, those types of things that we have to retrain our brain. This is something that we have to do to dismantle our bias around proximity because that's essentially all it is. We just have been programmed to think, if I see you working, you're working harder, I'm going to favor you because I'm spending, you know, more time with you, et cetera, et cetera. And it's creating what's called a Zoom ceiling for the remote workforce, right? Yep. Yep. I was worried. I was actually worried about this when people first started talking about hybrid models. I'm like, are we creating, you know, different citizens? Are we creating a three-fifths? Are we creating, a you know, the people in the office are going to get promoted at a higher click. They're going to get mm -hmm. in, internal mobility, you know, like people that aren't in the office, aren't as seen. Mm -hmm. You know, we are we creating different, you know, classes of citizens? Yes, you know? we are. We are. And what it's doing, mm -hmm. it's those that really need to take advantage of the remote work environment, right? Your working mothers, who we saw was the most that left the work environment, you know, during COVID. Um, you, know, though, you know, those marginalized employees are typically the ones that need to take advantage of the remote work environment. And this is being yet another kind of strike against them, right? is, oh, now I don't even get to see you. So therefore there's another, in addition to the glass ceiling, there's a Zoom ceiling. So it's creating more inequities um, in the workforce. So we've got to look at that. We need to see who's taking advantage, who needs this work re remote work environment, which we know now is to be those that have been traditionally marginalized or, 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 or oppressed. And, um, and then we need to figure out how to reconcile this in inequity that is being brought upon us and it starts like you said with trust right it starts with eliminating the proximity bias and we've got to come up with objectional ways um, that we are you know looking at performance and measuring performance and success rather than the subjective measure such as i see you so you must be working harder so how does how does one company how do you how do we go from you know a five to well everything that we already know. So how do we go from the known to a four day work week? Do you suggest kind of a phased approach or is it rip the bandaid off? Like what, how um, do we, if someone's considering this and they're listening yeah, to this, I think, how, I think how do the they think about approach it? Is okay. You know, start with a department in your organization, maybe a smaller one, you know, that this would be a little bit um, less complicated. Um, start there, you know, figure out some of the kinks there and then broadly expand it, you know, just like some of the countries that are implementing this, it's a pilot program. They're trying to see what do we know, what do we don't know, what do we need to figure out before we make this either a requirement, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that's absolutely okay. But if you feel like ripping the Band-Aid, do that. But I think the key is to listen to your employees. Just don't implement this program. Make sure you have employee involvement as to how to roll this out. No one can tell you how they best work under work circumstances than your workforce, right? And a lot of times we miss that step. We just roll things out. We don't get input from the workforce. So we involve employees in your initiative, in this strategy, 
so that you can optimize success, right? And so you're figuring out less kinks because they're going to be able to anticipate the what ifs, the what ifs, the what ifs. And therefore you can on the front end manage through and think about those what ifs. So industries or sizes of companies or geography, is there anything that you've seen in, in the data and, and what other country, countries have done where, you know, this works, you know, better or, you know, let's start here? Uh, you know, is there anything that you've seen in the data? Well, it can work in any industry, right? And we'll mm. have people that will say, oh, no, I'm retail. You've got to be there. Da, 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 da. You know, that, that's fine. You can still be open seven days a week, although you have a four-day work model. Um, it may mean you're going to hire a couple of more staff, and people mm -hmm. will complain about that. Uh, but in the end, you know, if we look at the turnover right now, if we look at the great resignation that's happening, especially in the U.S., uh, employees are leaving. So hiring those two or three extra people you need to hire to make the four-day work week uh, model work, that's going to come to your advantage, right? You're going to see that actually it's going to be a cost savings because you're more likely to retain your current workforce. You're more likely to retain that knowledge that you have there and that loyalty and commitment. I love that. So any potential, uh, I say downsides, or is there any like employees that this doesn't work for? I mean, we've talked about leaders and managers mm -hmm. and things like that. So we've kind of covered that, but is on the employee side, and you've you've worked and, and you've got you've mm -hmm. you've been educated on the union side. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I'm I'm curious as to you know on the employee side of well, things. Yeah. What's funny is that you know working with unions, unions have been asking for this model uh, for quite some time, and they they've made it work with organizations. I do a lot of work in healthcare, and um, you know in the past negotiations that I've participated with in healthcare, especially for nursing. They have been on a four-day, three-day off, a 12-hour work shift model where they work for four days and are off three days. Uh, I'm sorry, they work for three days and they're off four days. I'm sorry, it's the opposite, right? And so they have been negotiating this same type of flexibility mm -hmm. for some years now. Now, those right. are blue-collar healthcare work. You know, hospitals are open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If it can work in that model, it can work in any model. I love that. And again, we've been talking about flexibility uh, in the workplace for a long time as well. So this, this there isn't a downside. So now, now put on your pragmatic hat for just mm -hmm. a second. Mm -hmm. How do you see U.S. businesses, you know, and, and again, we pride ourselves in, you know, in, in, incorrectly. I'll, I'll just go ahead and say it for what mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Incorrectly for our work ethic and, and workaholic uh, behaviors kind of, we, we kind of have as a badge of courage. How do you, how do you see this playing out over the next decade or so in the U S it has to play out? Um, you know, what we're seeing in terms of labor shortages, mm -hmm. it is having a significant impact on our global economy, on our supply chain and in many other aspects. Right. So it has to work. Employees would rather not work at all than to work in this model, than to work five days a week back on site, right? Right. So they've got to figure it out. It's it's no choice. And I work with many organizations and they all know this, right? They all know there's no way people are coming back to work five days a week on site. 
And they all know that they, if they're currently in that model, that the workforce is turning at a rapid pace. People are like, I'll find, I'll, you know, begin my own business. I'll, I'll find something else to do than to work on site five days a week. So this is the future. There's no negotiating it. Um, and they've got to get on board. And for those that are trying to go against that grain, trying to return to post-pandemic cultures mm-hmm. or pre-pandemic cultures, um, they're going to be left behind. They're going to find themselves at a competitive disadvantage um, and for labor and for everything else. And they're going to eventually have to shift. So why not shift now? This, my friend, is the new normal. So last question, because we started the discussion talking about diversity and inclusion and marginalized uh, folks at work. Mm-hmm. What's, what is, in, you know, because these things probably dovetail nicely, but what's, what's the crossroads between uh, or the intersection points between a four-day work week and the groups of people that we were talking about? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so going back to, you know, women who are typically, you know, mm-hmm. working mothers. Um, so the fact that I don't have to get up, get my kids ready, get them to school or daycare, get myself commuting. Oh, by the way, they're sick. So that means that I have to take a whole day off of work because I can't come in. That doesn't make sense when I can work from home and tend to my sick child, right? Right. So, you know, if we're looking at that, so what's happening is when we saw during COVID was they weren't able to do that. Schools were out. They had to homeschool. They do all these things. They said, forget it. I'm just leaving the workforce. So we've got to find a way for them to re-enter the workforce as it relates to other marginalized employees, which we already know have been disadvantaged from a pay equity standpoint, right? Um, how do you bring that that equity into play? Well, guess what? I don't have to pay for gas anymore and commuting. Now I may even have time to start that job on the side because I have so much more time that my, you know, in my hands. And the fact that I'm not in the office face to face it's with the exception of that proximity bias, um, you know, other biases are also curtailed, you know, and you can just look at my work instead of being distracted by other things that as it, as it relates to my identity, right? And I'm not distracted about things that relate to my identity. I'm not dealing with microaggressions and some of those other things that take place between meetings when I'm sitting side by side with people. I love it. Drops mic, walks off stage. <laughs> Thank you so much, because this is just a wonderful topic, and I think the more we unpack it with with folks and, you know, the podcasts like these and just discussions mm-hmm. like this, people are going to start nibble, nibbling around the edges and and start it somewhere. I like the way that you said, you know, pilot, just pick a department. You yep. start it somewhere and kind of work mm-hmm. out your bugs, work mm-hmm. out whatever kinks you have, and then, yep. then release it on the rest of the firm. Yeah, um, absolutely. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And thanks for everyone listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Until next time. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live Podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at Recruiting.